On that alone do we meditate, that alone do we worship, to that alone, the witness of the universe, do we bow. To that one who is our sole eternal support, the self-existent Lord, the raft to safety across the ocean of samsara, do we come for refuge. Om, peace, peace, peace. Good morning. Today, uh, I thought to talk about Sri Sarada Devi, the Holy Mother, as the uh, her birthday is coming up on the seventeenth. Uh, but I always have felt that it's extremely difficult to talk about the mother, and because it's very difficult to get a glimpse, understand who she really is. She is so simple, an unlettered village woman, living her very simple life, hidden away from public view. And when she would speak of herself, or everything she did was in such a matter-of-fact way. There was nothing, no splendor about her. Sri Ramakrishna was uh, constantly going into samadhi or dancing in ecstasy with his disciples and devotees. And Holy Mother was all hidden within. At first glance, there's maybe nothing special about her. I was looking on Amazon. They put, people put the reviews of the books. They write their own reviews of books. And the book... Uh, written by Swami Nikilananda about Holy Mother. Well, one reviewer wrote this. Being familiar with Ramakrishna's teachings, I found Holy Mother to be only fairly interesting. <laughs> she seemed to be in over her head, but she tried to be the ideal wife. Since the Master anointed her, she performed her role. People venerated her, and she acted like a Holy Mother. I couldn't get inspired by this woman. I'm not sure what her function was. So this is the day I feel is the danger, the risk of talking about Holy Mother, that we just that this kind of impression may come. How can we understand who she is? How do we begin to get a glimpse of her true nature? How is it that so many people look on her as divine, as the Divine Mother? It's difficult to put our finger on it. I've been thinking about it, and it seems like reading about her life and reading about so many different incidents, gradually, as we read of so many different incidents, a picture starts to develop in our mind. 
Her companions have, and disciples have recorded so many incidents. These different conversations and incidents, they build up a picture, perhaps like a, a, watching a painting being painted, a little dab of paint here, a little uh, color here, a little bit of the sky here, and gradually the picture begins to become clear. Or like weaving a tapestry, where each of these incidents in her life is like one thread going across the loom, and only by seeing, only after the thread, the shuttle has passed back and forth countless times do we begin to see a picture coming. So it seems to be a cumulative effect, partly the incidents, partly what Sri Ramakrishna and Swami Vivekananda said about her. Gradually, the more we hear, the more we think, the more we feel, the more we begin to feel that she is not an ordinary person, an uncommon person, a divine personality. Perhaps we have to become very still to see behind her veil. We have to become like little children ourselves to understand that she is the mother. It often strikes me what an amazing play took place just a few decades ago. What a leela, a divine play. How to convey the wonder of that. The leela which unfolded on this earth no one could have imagined it, the incidents that took place in the life of Holy Mother and Sri Ramakrishna. No fairy tale writer could have composed it. So in 45 minutes, how to get a glimpse of that? It's very difficult. We shall have to rely on her grace for that. All I can do is share some incidents from her life and some of the things that people have said about her. So our talk will be very simple, just sharing some events from the mother's life. Holy Mother was born in 1853, Thursday, December 22nd, 1853 more than 17 years after Sri Ramakrishna was born. Actually, she was closer in age to Swami Vivekananda, just over nine years older than Swami Vivekananda. And she was born in a very remote village, Dairambati. More remote than we can imagine today. There was no, nothing like electricity. There was nothing like plumbing, what to speak of telephones or all the machinery or anything like that. Everything was done by hand or with the help of animals. The only modern thing which was there was mail. Mail uh, delivery was there. And she was born in a very poor family. But the life there was so simple, connected to the rhythm of the seasons. And Later, Holy Mother would revere Jairambati and would love to be there. She was really in her element there at Jairambati. She was born into the Mukherjee family and 
as in the case of Sri Ramakrishna and so many other world teachers, her parents also had some intimations that their child, she was the firstborn, was not an ordinary child, would not be an ordinary child. Her mother had gone, Shamasundari Devi, had gone to visit her in-laws. And coming back, she uh, was stopped by the side of the road under a tree. And suddenly a little girl came down from that tree and clasped her around the neck from behind. And in that experience, Shamasundari Devi lost the consciousness of the, of the waking state. And afterwards she felt somehow that girl has entered her womb. Her father, Ramachandra, also had a vivid dream of a divine girl, beautiful with ornaments, jingling anklets, embracing him and telling him, I have come to your family. I have come to your family. Sarada Mani, or Sarada, was the eldest of seven children, but three of her mm, siblings died early. She didn't have much formal schooling. In those days, girls didn't go to school. Maybe just a little bit she had. But she did learn to read on her own with the help of a niece. But her real education came from Sri Ramakrishna. Now, Sri Ramakrishna enters the picture in May of 1859, she was married to Sri Ramakrishna. That means she was five and a half years old. Now, this seems absolutely shocking to us, scandalous to us. But this was apparently not so unusual in those days. Of course, it was a kind of betrothal. And how it actually happened is most unusual. Sri Ramakrishna was immersed in intense spiritual practices in Dakshineshwar, and people thought he had gone mad. And his mother and eldest brother were thinking that to marry him would tie him down to the world and he'd knock a little sense into him. If he had a wife, he would be, uh, feel responsible for her and become a little normal. So they started looking for a wife for him. In the meantime, he came back from Dakshineshwar to Kamarpuku for some time. And they were looking and looking, but no, they couldn't find a suitable girl. Probably the people around knew about Sri Ramakrishna. They had heard that he's a madman. So nobody wanted to marry their daughter to him. And uh, then they also were asking lots of money. All right, well, you have to pay lots of money. They were a poor family. They couldn't afford it. So Sri Ramakrishna saw how they were not able to find a suitable girl, and how they were also very upset. So one day, he finally said, Why are you fruitlessly looking for the girl hither and thither? Go to Ramchandra Mukherjee's house at Jarambati, and you will find the girl there, tied, as it were, with straw. Now, in the custom of the, the farmer's custom in those days was they would offer the best fruits of the tree or the best vegetables, they would offer those to God in the temple. Now, in order to make sure that those would be preserved on their tree or plant, they would tie some straw around that particular fruit which was the best one, which was, that was then reserved, set aside for God. 
So in this way, Sri Ramakrishna said, you'll find the girl there, tied with a straw, set aside for the divine. So they were married. Holy Mother reveals some very unusual happenings from her childhood. Once she went to her in-laws in Kamarpukur, she was 13. Sri Ramakrishna wasn't there. She was at her in-laws. She was terribly bashful and frightened. She would have to go for her bath in the tank, in the pond. And how to go to the pond all by herself, 13-year-old girl in a strange village. So one day, eight beautiful maidens came. As she left the house from the back door, eight beautiful maidens came, four walking in front of her, four walking behind her, and escorted her to the tank. And they all took their bath together, and then they came back together. She never asked them who they were, but they came every day. It is said that the Divine Mother has eight attendants. So this, in, this uh, happening is interpreted sometimes in that way. In 1867, Sri Ramakrishna returned to Kamarpukur, and Sarada, now 14 years old, had her first real intimate contact with Sri Ramakrishna, spent six months with him, and this was the beginning of her real education. Not only spiritual education, of course, she received spiritual education, and also in all the various household duties, how to trim a lamp, how to behave in all circumstances. Sri Ramakrishna's instruction to her was always to act according to the time, the place, the circumstance, and the people. One should adjust one's conduct according to the circumstances. And in Bengali, it's a delightful little saying, uh, it, kind of a rhyming saying, Jokon jamon, takon tamon, jekhani jamon, sikhani tamon, je jamon, tar shati tamon. So it's a kind of a rhyming uh, teaching. And this was his teaching to her. Often he would, they would have long hours of conversation about spiritual matters, and Sarada and the other, her companions and friends and neighbors. And uh, the com- she, would, she was only 14, she would doze off. And her companions would, try, would want to wake her. Hey, wake up, wake up, he's talking, he's telling so many good things. Sri Ramakrishna would say, no, don't wake her, don't wake her. If she listens to everything I say, she will not stay on this earth. She will unfold her wings and fly away. So like that, Sri Ramakrishna knew there was something special about Sarada, even at that age. In the company of Sri Ramakrishna, Holy Mother, she would say, it was as if there was a jar of bliss overflowing in my heart at all the times. So that was her experience, being in the company of Sri Ramakrishna, a jar of bliss in her heart. Then Sri Ramakrishna went back to Dakshineshwar, and he forgot all about everything and plunged again into his intense spiritual practices. And this is a very pathetic 
story how the villagers in Jairambati they they understood that he's a madman the the report would come back from Dakshinishwar that Gadaha Chattopadha he's just a madman and they are gossiping a little in small towns and villages that the gossip it gets a little bit vicious so they say oh poor poor Sarada married to a madman oh there goes the madman's wife like that so it was very painful and she couldn't reconcile because when she was with Sri Ramakrishna how much joy she had how much he how much love he showed to her and yet they're talking like this so finally she decided 1872, she was 19 years old, she decided she would have to go and see for herself. But how to go? Some women were going for a bath in the Ganges, in Calcutta. They were going for a pilgrimage to Calcutta, so she proposed to go with them. So she told a friend, I shall go to Dakshineshwar to see him. And she, the, she, she, she said about this time, I told a friend, I shall go to Dakshineshwar to see him. And she communicated everything to my father. I, of course, could not speak of this to my father because of fear and bashfulness. My father said, does she want to go? Very good. He too accompanied us. So Ramchandra brought her daughter, his daughter, to Dakshineshwar. On the way, they went on foot a few days walk. Now, Sara was was uh, not that strong in body, and she began to get very tired and ended up coming down with a very high fever. They had to stop in a wayside inn, and she was lying half conscious on a bed and thinking she wasn't going to make it to Dakshineshwar. And at that time, an exquisitely beautiful woman came into the room of deep black complexion and began to stroke Sarada's body, soothing her fever. She felt like the fever was leaving her at her touch. And she asked this woman, where did you come from? And she answered, from Dakshineshwar. Sarada, indeed, I wanted to go to Dakshineshwar myself, see him there and serve him. Perhaps ill luck will prevent my desires being fulfilled. Don't say that. You will surely go to Dakshineshwar. You will get well and see him. It is for your sake that I am keeping him there. Is that true? Who are you? Any relation of ours? I am your sister. Is that so? Perhaps that is why you have come. And then the woman disappeared. Now, of course, Mother Kali at Dakshineshwar is the exquisitely beautiful black goddess. When she reached Dakshineshwar, all the doubts she had about Sri Ramakrishna's mental condition were immediately dispelled. He received her with so much warmth and love. And there at Dakshineshwar, Sarada Devi's training continued. She was then a young woman of 19 years old. Her husband was 34. They were in the prime of youth, you can say. 
but theirs was not to be an ordinary marriage. Sri Ramakrishna asked her, Do you want to drag me down into Maya? She immediately replied, Why should it be so? I have come only to help you in your path. So their marriage was never consummated on the physical plane. But we can say they were united on the spiritual plane, on the higher plane. And this happened sometime after Sarada Devi reached Dakshineshwar in what in a event called the Shodashi Puja. The Shodashi is a form of Divine Mother, exquisitely beautiful form of the Divine Mother. And Sri Ramakrishna worshipped Holy Mother as Shodashi. It was a night of special worship of Mother Kali called the Falaharini Kali Puja. And preparations were made in Sri Ramakrishna's room to do this special worship. And Holy Mother said about it, the master performed the Shodashi Puja about a month and a half after my arrival at Dakshineshwar. At about nine at night, he sent for me. Hridoy had made all the necessary arrangements for the worship. The master asked me to be seated. I sat on the stool facing the jar of Ganga water, which used to be kept at the northwestern corner of the room. The master sat near the western door and was facing eastward. All the doors were closed. The articles for worship were on my right. Sri Ramakrishna's niece, Lakshmi Didi, reported that the mother had told her, First he painted my feet with alta, that's the red dye, and put vermilion on my forehead. Then he clad me in a new cloth. He also fed me with sweets and beetle rolls. Lakshmi Didi asked her smilingly, You are so shy, dear. How did he put the cloth on you? The mother replied, I was in an altogether different state of mind at that time. Someone asked her, Mother, did you not feel any hesitation or shyness when the master offered flowers at your feet and fed you with sweets with his own hands? The mother had told him, No, I saw him no doubt doing all this but I had no inclination to utter a word even. I'd like to read a short section of Swami Saradananda's description of this event. He writes, According to scriptural injunctions, the Master sprinkled the Holy Mother repeatedly with the water purified by mantras from the pitcher placed before him, then uttered the mantra in her hearing, and then recited the prayer, O Lady, O Mother Tripurasundari, who art the controller of all powers, open the door to perfection. Purify her body and mind. Manifest thyself in her and be beneficent. Afterwards, the Master performed the nyasa of the mantras in the Holy Mother's person according to the injunctions of the Shastras and worshipped her with the sixteen articles as the Devi herself. The Holy Mother lost normal consciousness and went into samadhi. The master, too, uttering mantras in the semi-conscious state, entered into complete samadhi. 
the worshipper in Samadhi became perfectly identified and united with the Devi in Samadhi. The Master's sadhana reached its culmination with the worship of the ruler of the universe, the Divine Mother in the body of a woman, the embodiment of spiritual knowledge itself. So we see that this is, we can say, how their marriage was consummated in Samadhi, in this Shorashi Puja. And from this point on, we can feel that the divine motherhood, which was waiting to come forth in Sri Sarada Devi, came forth. And from here on, we can definitely call her the Holy Mother. This was also the final act of Sri Ramakrishna's sadhana, of his spiritual practices. After, at the end of the worship, he offered the fruits of all his sadhanas at her feet, and also his japamala, his rosary, on which he had counted the name of God so many times. He offered that also at her feet. So we get some glimpses of Holy Mother's motherhood, at Dakshineshwar itself. Sri Ramakrishna was quite a taskmaster with his young disciples. He had even stipulated how much his disciples were allowed to eat at night because they shouldn't eat too much at night because nighttime is for meditation. They shouldn't sleep all night. They should sleep a few hours and then meditate the rest of the night. So Rakhal was permitted six rotis, Latu five rotis, and Baburam only four. But Holy Mother was feeding them. She was preparing their supper. And she would give them as many as they wanted. <laughs> so Sri Ramakrishna asked Baburam once, the future Swami Premananda, um, how many rotis are you eating at night? And he said, oh, five or six. What? So he went to complain to Holy Mother that she was ruining their spiritual prospects. She, she was ruining their spiritual life. But she replied without any hesitation, why do you get upset? Because he had just two more chapatis. I shall look to their future. Don't you take them to task for this matter of eating. So she was ready to take their responsibility. And Sri Ramakrishna accepted this reply. He accepted it. Here we can see motherhood has triumphed over fatherhood. There's another incident one woman of not very good character, maybe poor character, came to Holy Mother and asked her, Mother, I'd like to carry Sri Ramakrishna's supper to him, or his dinner, his meal. She would carry his food to him. And she came just and it was about the time to bring food and said, Mother, I'd like to bring Sri Ramakrishna's food to him. So she permitted him. Then Sri Ramakrishna called the Holy Mother and said, I can't eat it. How could you let that woman of low character carry this, this food? I, I can't eat it. So she consoled him somehow and, and distracted him and made him eat the food. And he tried to get him to eat the food and he said, never do so again. And she said, that I cannot say. If anyone calls me mother, I cannot say no. Sri Ramakrishna left his body in 1886, in August. The first words that Holy Mother came to the body and said, 
and cried out, O Mother Kali, what have I done that you have departed, leaving me alone in the world? She looked on Sri Ramakrishna as the Divine Mother. And she went back to her room and she started removing her bracelets because a widow is not to wear any bracelets or any fancy saris or anything in the the traditional Indian system. And she had a vision of Sri Ramakrishna. And he said, Am I dead that you are acting like a widow? I have just moved from one room to another. So she she kept the bracelets on. She wore them. You can see in her picture. She wore them to the very end. And she had a lot of criticism for that. The vi- the village gossip was could be quite cruel. Criticism for that. So again, once she removed them, again she had a vision of Sri Ramakrishna. Why are you removing them? Didn't I tell you? So she kept them on. So this phase after Sri Ramakrishna left the body was a phase of pilgrimage, solitude, and intense spiritual disciplines for the mother. She spent a year in Vrindavan, and she too wanted to leave her body. She said, When the Master passed away, I also wanted to leave my body. He appeared before me and said, No, you must remain here. There are many things to be done. I myself realized later on that this was true. I had so many things to do. The master used to say, The people of Calcutta live like worms, squirming in the darkness. You will guide them. After the passing away of the master, I was at first greatly frightened, for I used to put on a sari with thin red borders and wear gold bangles on my wrist, which made me afraid of people's criticism. I was then at Kamarpukur. Sri Ramakrishna started appearing often before me. Then I gradually got rid of that fear. So we understand she was in a state of deep spiritual absorption and with frequent visions of Sri Ramakrishna. She herself said that her body would not have lasted long if that state had continued. And she brought her mind down by attaching it to a niece. Her brother, one of her brothers, uh, died before his daughter, his first child, was born. And when that child was, his wife, the Holy Mother's sister-in-law, became mentally deranged. She was the mad aunt in all the reminiscences. And she couldn't look after her daughter and uh, Holy Mother had a terrible, uh, saw the terrible condition of this poor girl, uh, infant, crawling in the dust with not properly fed, not bathed, nothing. And she reached down to pick up the child. And then Sri Ramakrishna told her, this is the girl who I told you about. You take hold of her. She is Mahamaya. You take hold of her and live in this world. So uh, the Holy Mother became, as it were, extremely attached to this young girl, Radhu, this child whom she raised as her own child. But we understand it was not an ordinary attachment. It was the attachment which she took on herself for the purpose of living in this world. Otherwise, she couldn't have lived here. 
So I'd like now to turn to some reminiscences about the mother, some incidents from her later life. And these incidents form a part of the, the tapestry, as it were, of mother's life. And we'll see if we can get a glimpse of her all-encompassing motherhood, that motherhood which excludes none. It includes us as well. Swami Arupananda, Rashbihari Maharaj, asked her, just when he had first met her, are you the mother of all? Mother, yes. Disciple, even of these birds and animals? Mother, yes, of these also. Disciple, then why should they suffer so much? Mother, in this birth they must have these experiences. It's amazing how these questions she answers with seeming nonchalance, as if it's just a matter of fact, and we may doubt it. How can she say, I'm the mother of all, even the, the animals and the birds and the insects? We may doubt it in, until we begin to reflect on her life and to see how she treated all as her own children, all who came to her, not only devotees, also the postman or a messenger woman or a laborer, a fallen, a fallen person who has fallen into uh, immoral ways, and even the much despised Britishers who were the occupying rulers of India. There is one of her attendants named Varada, Varada Maharaj, Swami Ishanananda later. He was a great follower of the independence movement and Swadeshi cloth, Swadeshi means Indian homespun cloth and all that. And he was in favor of the boycotting all British goods. Now he recalls this incident. Once at the time of Durga Puja, the Holy Mother gave me the responsibility of buying garments for her nephews and nieces. Of course, at Durga Puja time, all the gifts are given. I bought for them all only Swadeshi clothes, Indian-made clothes. The girls did not like this at all and began to order as they pleased. I got irritated and said, All that is foreign stuff. Do you think I will buy foreign goods? The Holy Mother was sitting on one side. She said, smiling, referring to the British, My dear, they too are my children. I have to run the house, including everybody. Can I be one-sided? Please bring the things to suit their taste. Subsequently, I observed that whenever any foreign articles had to be bought, the Holy Mother would get them through others rather than tell me. It was not in her nature to hurt anyone's feelings. So to Holy Mother, even the British occupiers were her children. And yet she didn't want to, Varada was also her, her child, she didn't want to upset him. Swami Arupananda, visiting uh, Jairambati, his first visit. I came again in the afternoon, around three or four o'clock, and found Mother kneading dough. She was sitting on the southwest corner of the veranda of her house, with her legs stretched out in front of her. 
Beside her stood the small earthen stove where the luchis, curries, and so forth for the evening meal were cooked. Seeing me, mother asked me, What do you want? Disciple, I want to talk with you. Mother, what about? Have a seat. Saying this, she gave me an asana. Disciple, Mother, everyone says Thakur, that is Sri Ramakrishna. Everyone says Thakur is Purna Brahma Sanatan, the eternal and perfect Brahman. What do you say? Mother, yes, he is my Purna Brahma Sanatan. Since she said my, I said, to every woman her husband is Purna Brahma Sanatan. I'm not asking the question in that sense. Mother, yes, he is the eternal and perfect Brahman, looking on him as my husband and also otherwise. Then I thought that if he was Purna Brahma, then mother must be Jagadamba, the mother of the universe herself, like Sita Ram, Radha Krishna, no difference between them. I had also come to see mother cherishing this faith. I asked her, then, why do I see you rolling rotis like an ordinary woman? What is all this? Is it maya or what? Mother replied, maya indeed. Otherwise, why should I be in this condition? I would be Lakshmi, staying beside Narayana in Vaikuntha. But God loves the Naralila, loves to sport as a human being. Sri Krishna was born the son of a cowherd. Rama was Dasharatha's son. We get some glimpses of her infinite compassion. During her last illness, Sarayubala Devi, one of her intimate disciples, records that another day when I visited the mother, I heard the monks telling her, Mother, after your recovery this time, we will not allow anyone to receive initiation from you. You have to undergo a lot of suffering by taking upon yourself the sins of your disciples. This is the idea that the powerful gurus like Sri Ramakrishna and Holy Mother, they take the sins of their disciples on themselves and they have to suffer a lot for it. So naturally, the Holy Mother's uh, disciples didn't want her to have any more disciples because her health then would get worse. But she... She smiled softly. When they said this, she smiled softly and said, Why, my dear children, did Sri Ramakrishna come only to eat rasagullas? <laughs> that silenced all. A very profound statement. It's a very... It's hidden in this statement is a deep truth, which is that the great teachers like Sri Ramakrishna and Holy Mother, they don't come for enjoyment. They didn't come to this world as we did. We came to this world because we want to enjoy something. We, we're trying to get some joy here. 
They didn't come for that reason. They came here to show us, no, you won't find joy here. You come with me. Let me show you the path to eternal joy, to the real joy. So we, they don't come for eating rasagullas. One devotee who is known only by the name Vaikuntha, we don't know his full name, he mm, visited the Holy Mother while she was staying for a few days at Kamarpukur. Ordinarily she would stay at Jairambati, but it seems for some days she was staying at Kamarpukur. And he relates this incident. The next day, after noon prasad, I went inside the compound to take leave of the Holy Mother. I found her sitting on the veranda, preparing beetle leaves. She asked me, have you made pranams to Raghuvir? Raghuvir is the family deity of Sri Ramakrishna. There was a little temple there. I said, no, mother. Mother, whoever comes here should offer something there. Offer some pranami, some money, when you make pranam to Raghuvir. If you do not have money, take some from me. Disciple, no, mother, I have money. I went to the temple of Raghuvir to offer my pranams. On my return, on my return, I saluted the Holy Mother to take leave of her. She suddenly exclaimed, Vaikuntha, call on me. But the very next moment she added, Call on Thakur. Calling on Thakur, you will attain everything. Lakshmi Didi, who was standing nearby, intervened, saying, No, mother, what is this? This is quite improper. What will your children do if you confuse them in this way? Mother, what? What did I do? Lakshmi Didi, Mother, just a moment ago you told Vaikuntha, Call on me. And now you are saying, Call on Thakur. Mother, when one calls on Thakur, everything is achieved. Lakshmi Didi said, Mother, it is not proper for you to bewilder your children. Then she turned to me, Vaikuntha, and said emphatically, See here, Vaikuntha, today for the first time I have heard the mother saying, Call on me. You must not miss this point. Who else is Takur? You call on the mother alone. Very fortunate are you that the mother herself told you so. You call on mother alone. Then she said to the mother, Well, mother, this is explained, I believe. The mother, through her silence, lent her support indirectly to Lakshmi Didi's words. So I took the title of today's talk from this incident. The mother told Vaikuntha, Call on me. Amai Dakish, she said, using the most intimate form of address, the Tui form. Amai Dakish, call on me. And uh, Lakshmi Didi, of course, is the daughter of Sri Ramakrishna's uh, brother Rameshwar. She was born in 1864, 11 years younger than Holy Mother. And she was of a very different nature. She was quite feisty. And she also became a spiritual teacher and a guru. And she would dance and sing. And Sri Ramakrishna had warned Holy Mother, don't be like Lakshmi. <laughs> <laughs> Your, your way is different. <laughs> but it's beautiful how the 
Holy Mother would let slip a little something and immediately try to cover it up. She would let slip this, this, call on me, call on Thakur, call on Thakur. And those who were around her, if they were paying attention, they would catch her. They'd say, hey, what is that? You said call on me, now you're saying call on Thakur. Don't confuse him. an incident uh, that Rash Bihari Maharaj relates. I was seated for the midday meal. Radhu's mother arranged a leaf plate and a cup of water in the veranda of her house for another guest, perhaps one of her relatives. A cat drank a little water out of the cup, so Radhu's mother changed the water. The cat again drank some of the water, and again she changed it. A third time the cat drank whereupon Radhu's mother chased it and screamed, You rogue, you burnt-faced cat, I will kill you. It was the hot season. The Holy Mother was there. She said, No, no, you must not prevent a thirsty animal from drinking. Besides, the cat has already touched the water. At this, Radhu's mother shouted in anger, You don't have to become compassionate towards the cat. You have shown enough compassion towards man. Why not reserve your kindness for man? The mother said in a serious voice, He is unfortunate indeed who does not gain my compassion. I do not know anyone, not even an insect, for whom I do not feel compassion. This is, of course, the the mad aunt it reminds us of uh, an incident with Sri Ramakrishna. His nephew, Hridoy, who was looking after him, was sometimes rude to the Holy Mother. And Sri Ramakrishna intervened. He told him, Look here, you may insult me, but don't hurt her feelings. If he who dwells in this, pointing to himself, if he who dwells in this hisses, you may somehow get by. But if he who dwells in her hisses, not no one, not even Brahma, Vishnu, or Shiva will be able to protect you. One college student used to visit the Holy Mother's place quite frequently. One day, while taking leave of her, he suddenly said he was clearly frustrated about his spiritual life. He suddenly said, Mother, I am no good for this place. I am unfit to come to you. I am saying goodbye forever. He quickly left the house. Mother ran after him, caught his shirt, and pulling him toward her, she put her hands on his shoulders. Looking at him eye to eye, she said in a firm voice, Whenever any disturbing thought comes to your mind, think of me. Don't worry. With those words, she let him go. While going home, the boy repeated mother's words over and over again. Think of me. Think of me. Think of me. He couldn't forget those two beautiful, compassionate eyes of the mother. Constantly he thought of those eyes of the mother and those words, Think of me. He later became a monk also and a led an exemplary life.
he narrated this incident to a brother monk who wrote it down. I'd like to just relate a little bit about how the mother used to grant spiritual initiation. She was a powerful guru. And at some times, at the time of initiation itself, the disciple would have a vision of his or her chosen ideal. But I'd like to read a little excerpt from this wonderful book, The Mother as I Saw Her, Reminiscences of the Holy Mother by Swami Saradeshananda, Gopesh Maharaj, who was an intimate disciple and attendant. He talks about the... uh, His style is uniquely sweet. So I think we'll close with this reading, although there's other things that could be read, but I think we can close with this one. Many persons, both men and women, used to go to the Holy Mother, no doubt, in the hope of getting this happiness and peace. And she too knowing their hearts and aptitudes, gave them various instructions. Such imparting of instruction is known in religious parlance as initiation or diksha, which establishes a spiritual relationship between the guru, the preceptor, and the shishya, the disciple. The way the mother used to give her initiations was unique and wonderful. In the world, we are prone to gauge the magnitude of a work by looking at the outer grandeur and the expenditure incurred. That is why even this ceremony of initiation is generally performed with much show, pomp, and fuss. Though some of the children of the mother might have associated the idea of such show and grandeur in their minds, the moment the affectionate call, Come, my child, entered their ears. It made them forget all about their wealth and position and brought them into the realm of the unique sweetness of motiveless love, which they had never experienced before. The son who had lost his way and direction got his mother, and the way was open to him to obtain peace and happiness. You are, the, you are my mother, and I am your son, a relationship of this kind, which came into existence forever, would fill the disciple son's heart to the brim with joy. For where was any room for sorrow or tribulation? That transcendent reality about which the son was getting an inkling through this love of the mother now became the support of his life's journey and the treasure of his heart forever. Prarabdha, his past deeds, was drowning him in the ocean of transmigratory existence, and he now saw hopes of rescue from it. The moment that loving call, Come, my child, came floating, the heart would at once be filled with a great strength, and the words of assurance would start humming, Where is the cause for any fear? Listen, the mother is stretching forward her hands, to take you up in her lap. She gave initiation generally at the end of her daily worship of the master. She would call the aspirant affectionately, seat him near her, and make him perform achamana, sipping 
of water. Then she would ask him to think of the master intently and offer himself entirely at his feet. After that, she would ask him a question or two and give him his mantra and introduce him to his guru Ishta. Then the initiate would be permitted to worship her with flowers and offer dakshina, an offering of commodities and money. She would then bless him. Her well-to-do sons, as advised by old devotees, would bring her sumptuous offerings of cloth, fruits and sweets. But the mother never gave any directions on dakshina, the devotee being free to offer whatever he liked according to his means. She would even forbid poor devotees to spend lavishly on dakshina. In fact, many were initiated without any expenditure on dakshina at all. It is the devotion and self-surrender of the initiate that constitute real puja and dakshina. Sarvastaratu Durgani Sarvobhadrani Pashyatu Sarvasat Buddhimapnotu Sarvasarvatranandatu Durjana Sajjano Bhuyat Sajjana Shanti Mapnuyat Shanto Mucheta Bandhe Bhyo Dhananim Saradam Devim Ramakrishnan Jagad Guru Padapadmetayo Shritva Pranamami Muhur Om Shanti 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 May all be freed from dangers. May all realize what is good. May all be actuated by noble thoughts. May all rejoice everywhere. May the wicked become virtuous. May the virtuous attain tranquility. May the tranquil be free from bonds. May the freed make others free. Taking refuge at the holy feet of the mother, Sri Sarada Devi, and Sri Ramakrishna, the world teacher, we salute them again and again. Om peace, peace, peace.